All right, Tom, looks like it's a good time to start, so you can take it away. Okay, Max, thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. I'm Tom Zamiera, a partner at Westminster Consulting. We're a people and risk solutions consultancy. I come, for those of you who know me, I come from the retirement benefits and fiduciary advisory side of the house. Joining me today, we're very happy to have uh, Jenny Holmes and Christian Hansey from Nixon Peabody. They're from the employee benefits practice there. Nixon Peabody is a global law firm with more than 650 attorneys collaborating across major practice areas in the US, Europe, and Asia. Jenny and Christian are based out of the Rochester, New York office. <clears throat> we chose today's topic, partial plan termination, because of a great number of our clients and their businesses that have been adversely affected by COVID-19. The impact of the pandemic and the resulting economic closures have forced many companies to rapidly transition to survival mode. All areas of the C-suite have had to completely reconsider their business strategies. And as a result, many have been forced to cut benefits, staffing, whole lines of business, and other painful but necessary moves to survive. As a result of some of these moves, clients have been forced, have moved forward with significant benefit changes without considering the regulatory repercussions associated with these moves. We're here to discuss how some of these changes may have intentionally or inadvertently triggered a partial plan termination. We have a series of questions that uh, as, as, as the group of us have sort of thought about this topic, we've also reached out to some clients and asked them to provide some questions. So this will be a conversation between the three of us uh, about different aspects of partial plan termination and how it affects our clients and how it might affect you. So again, I would encourage you if you do have questions to use the chat box uh, that's provided, I believe on the right-hand side of the screen. <clears throat> so let me start by asking Christian a question about just simply what is partial plan termination? Thank you, Mayor. Yeah, Christian. Thank you, Tom. It, and thanks for the invite. It's good to be with you uh, uh, today. So I, if you have a kind of top four comments on what is a partial plan termination, and I'll introduce the topic by saying that, uh, like your practice, Tom, we are seeing a lot of questions now around workforce restructurings and what that means for a client's 401k plan, 403b plan, and other employee benefits. Uh, we see a lot of employers reacting to the COVID pandemic and downturns in business activity through layoffs, furloughs, et cetera. And it's often the HR department that needs to make sense of what these restructurings mean in terms of uh, employee benefits rights. And one, potential gotcha, um, an issue that plan sponsors need to be aware of is this concept of a partial plan termination. So you can know if your uh, you know, turnover, restructurings, et cetera, present a partial plan termination for you. And if you look at the first bullet on this slide, uh, you'll see the concept in a nutshell. If you have um, extraordinary turnover, layoffs, uh, reductions in force, et cetera, as an employer, that loss in headcount can trigger a partial plan termination 
which is a concept under the tax code that says that due to these reductions in headcount, you have to vest all affected employees, uh, i.e. everyone who's separated as part of the layoff reduction in force has to become fully vested in their 401k and 403b uh, accounts. So this raises the question, so you know, wh what's that trigger point? You know, we have people coming and going all the time. And Jenny and I will talk for a minute about uh, what, what types of uh, turnover counts, what's that trigger point, et cetera. But the most important uh, concept to put on the table as to what's the trigger point is the second bullet. The IRS has issued guidance that says if you have 20% or more turnover, um, that likely presents a partial termination. So the, the number to watch for is 20%. Um, and as we'll get into later in the presentation, these are not easy calls. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk uh, during today's conversation about what to look for to figure out if, uh, if you have a partial termination issue. You know, in our, in our discussion yesterday, we talked about, you know, trying to, since this is sort of a moving goal line, right? Are we in it? Have we triggered it? Have we not triggered it? And the, the topic of facts and circumstances came up. Jenny, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what those certain facts or what considerations that the, those plan sponsors, those HR folks that are listening in, what they should think about when, as they're moving down that path, they think they might be close to the goal line, but they're not sure. Well, as, as we've seen over the past few months, this isn't as clear cut as one single time we're going to have 20%. Um, so you really want to look at, and if we could switch to the next slide, Max, um, you know, there's, there's certain things that we want to look at. The turnover rate, which we're going to look at that as the terminated employees divided by all participants during the applicable period. Um, and that applicable period can be pretty tough when we're talking about layoffs or reduction in forces or even furloughs that are happening over an extended period of time. Um, generally, you're going to think of the applicable period as being um, the plan year, but in the circumstances we have now, that might not be the case. So really, we want to look at this big picture as a whole. Why are we making these decisions? Who's going to be affected? Are we just laying off and not rehiring for those positions? Um, and, and what's the expected time frame that these cuts are going to span? Um, you know, something that we should mention from the start as well is that um, Christian and I will be referring to layoffs and furloughs, um, and those are two distinct concepts in our minds. So layoffs are going to be no expectation of returning. You are done with employment with this company. Um, you are able to take distributions from your 401k, 403b. Um, a furlough, there is an expectation that you will come return. Um, so, so at that point, you know, you can't touch your 401k, 403b. Um, and, and that's really where the facts and circumstances test comes in to see how long are those furloughed employees going to be out and, and when do we expect them to return um, before we look at including them in that 20%. You know, so a term that we've, yeah. we've uh, heard is, you know, have you severed the relationship with the, with the employee, right? So 
if someone has been furloughed, but they're still paying some benefits, right? Still paying some health care, then that relationship hasn't been severed. Can either one of you comment on that and, and what HR folks should yeah, keep in mind? I'll, I'll jump in. It feels like we're using this term furloughed uh, more now than we ever did before. So it's good to remember what that concept means. But um, to develop on what Jenny said, I often describe furlough status to clients as effectively an unpaid leave of absence due to lack of work. You know, we typically describe a furlough for someone who is uh, not regarded as severed. Uh, typically, there is an expected return to work date that's been communicated to uh, to the furloughed employees. Um, sometimes they'll retain some benefit rights uh, as active employees. Maybe they are being continued under health insurance. Maybe not. Um, but the distinguishing feature is you're on pause. You're not actively working, but we expect you're going to come back. And because of that expectation of returning to work with a firm, uh, you know, expected return to work date, we treat furloughed employees or we recommend that clients treat furloughed employees as not having severed the employment relationship. And that means a couple of things. First, it means we would not include furloughed employees in a partial termination analysis. So if you're trying to figure out if you've gotten to that 20% threshold, we wouldn't include furloughed employees. And then as Jenny said, if you're not terminated, you shouldn't have access to your 401k or 403b account um, for any distribution rights that are conditioned upon a termination of employment. Yeah, we kick, we kick, around, with, yeah, we kick around these terms. Um, and my experience has been that record keepers, while they have these, these status codes for employees, you know, um, one particular record keeper that I'm thinking of, you have active, you have terminated, you have inactive. And I, I guess that HR folks have a tough time figuring out, well, we don't really have a code for furloughed or we don't have a code for, maybe they don't have an inactive code, they have a leave of absence code. You know, what kind of conversations should um, HR folks be having with their record keepers about this? So that they accurately categorize their folks so that we know who's in those different categories. Right. And yeah, I'll, I'll good, start. Yeah, go ahead, Christian. Yeah, it, it's a good conversation to have for sure, because you might be surprised at uh, uh, what, how your record keeper is categorizing furloughed employees. I, I had this conversation just last week where uh, uh, this was a university client on the West Coast, and they furloughed employees uh, with a firm expectation of of these employees returning to work. They were still getting health insurance coverage. Um, they had not severed, but their record keeper, to your point, Tom, was categorizing them as uh, terminated. They had a T code on the system. And so the record keeper was giving these furloughed employees access to their account balances for full distributions, rollovers, et cetera. Um, and once this, was discovered, uh, the HR department had to contact the record keeper, jump on it and figure out a manual process to prevent these furloughed employees from having improper access to their account balances. <clears throat> Jenny, do you wanna say something about that? Christian covered it. Okay. You know, I had a question that came from um, 
a client last week we were talking about, and they're looking at their future staffing needs. And the question was something to the effect that if I lay off 10% of my workforce in Q2, then I realize I need to lay off further folks in Q3 or Q4. Do I need to vest the Q2 employees? And how, do, how does that work when it comes to taking distribution? So how do we aggregate those? What's the mechanics behind it? Yeah, I'll, I'll comment on this. So as, as Jenny said, you look at all uh, turnover during the quote applicable period. And that's generally the plan year, but not always. And that not always um, comment relates to the fact that if there are related terminations that span plan years that are tied to the same causal event, you aggregate them. So to take a very current example, you know, maybe you had some layoffs in uh, you know Q2 of 2020 responding to the pandemic. Um, end of the year rolls around, you have some more uh, layoffs and perhaps uh, you know the challenged environment continues into 2021 and you have a further round of uh, restructurings in 2021. If, if you determine that all of these restructurings, you know, while they were separate events, were all related to the employer's response to the COVID pandemic, um, um, IRS guidance suggests they would all be aggregated for purposes of determining whether you had exceeded that 20% that threshold. Um, so there's some judgment calls on the applicable period depending on whether um, iterative restructurings are causally connected. And let, me add, let me add one other point to that that's important. And that is what, what turnover is counted? Because you don't count every separation. If someone quits, you don't count. And basically we're looking for, for uh, involuntary terminations caused by an employer restructuring activity. So you don't count people who resign. Um, you don't count people who retire or become disabled. Um, and the other, the other concept, and this is kind of a squishy one, but it's important, is you also don't count your quote routine turnover well you might be asking well what is our routine turnover but if you could show looking back in prior years that on average five percent ten percent of your workforce just turned over year after year um, you can back that out of your partial um, termination analysis uh, and that's great news we have some clients in the retail space that you know, year after year might have 30 or 40% of their employees turn over. Does that mean they have a partial plan termination every year? No, because we call that normal turnover and, uh, and we back that out. Jenny, I was just thinking about um, uh, reporting, right? So we talk about this partial plan termination. Is there a reporting mechanism that takes place? Is there something that gets mentioned in the 5500? Is there a separate schedule that gets attached? How is all this? We, we talk about it, but who are we notifying? What, what, what's, the, what's the responsibility on the part of the plan sponsor? No, there really isn't any reporting that has to take place. Um, obviously, as Christian mentioned before, you do have to vest all of those uh, affected employees. 
um, and, and, and we would expect that there would be notice to them to that effect. Um, you know, one of the things that we recommend is really going through the thought process here of whether a partial plan termination has occurred um, and making sure that we're memorializing those decisions at a management level, um, you know, where it can be remembered and where we can prove that we had a reasonable basis for whether we are determining that a partial plan determination termination did happen or that it didn't happen. Um, you know, in, in terms of your fiduciary duties, um, you do have to follow a prudent process for administering the plan and the documentation. Um, so you do want to make sure that you are memorializing that you did an appropriate investigation as to whether a partial termination occurred. Um, and you want to make a, a reasonable decision consistent with the best practices for being a fiduciary of the plan. Um, but there is no, no reporting necessary. Okay. So is this this um, memorializing, is this something that the committee does and, and puts in their minutes? Is this a memo from the CHRO or whoever the sort of the chief administrative officer of the plan is to the to the plan sponsor? How would you do I this? Think it could, I think it could take different forms based on, you know, how your company typically functions. Um, you know, a memo to file would be perfectly acceptable if that is a typical practice. Um, if it is a decision made at the committee level, then it could be in the minutes, um, but perhaps supported by um, some more detail and, and an additional memo. Um, as long as it is being memorialized, the steps that you took to get to that decision are, are being written down and then show the reasonable thought process. Um, we just want to make sure that we document that. So, the, the, yeah, I'll, Tom, I'll, I'll jump in just to add to the point. I Last year, I had uh, a couple of IRS audits where the auditor asked about turnover and specifically was examining the client to determine if a partial plan termination had occurred. Um, and it, it was tough kind of going back and saying, well, we think this is normal. We think these were voluntary. Um, in that case, we didn't have a memo to file. And, you know, I, I wish we had because uh, if we could capture these are the percentages we were looking at. These were the percentages we backed out. Here's the determination we made would have made that a much, a much simpler process. You know, we talked about sort of the easy, uh, um, the easy determination, well, relatively easy, the 20% threshold, right, that we have to think about that could constitute a partial plan termination. It's my understanding also that a change in the match, elimination of the match, or any change to that could also trigger that. Can, can either one of you comment on that? Do you want me to tackle this one or do you want this yeah, one? Of okay. Well, Max, why don't we look at slide three then? We put some concepts down, down here. Um, so, as we mentioned, employee turnover is one way an employer can wind up with a partial plan termination, but there's another partial plan termination concept, and it's this. If an employer permanently discontinues uh, employer contributions to the plan, that is also considered a partial plan termination, and you have to vest everyone. And here, the vesting event is a broader concept, right? Because the affected employees would be everyone who had been receiving an employer contribution and now was not. 
you have to fully vest them. Um, so that's, that's a concept that exists in the code. And one reason why this is an important conversation now uh, is that many of our employer clients are having conversations about turning off the spigot on employer contributions for a period of time as they go through some financial austerity measures. So if you are going to temporarily uh, suspend employer contributions to your 401k and 403b plan, there's a right way and wrong way to do it uh, to avoid a partial plan termination. You know, the wrong way is you don't want to just have a one-sentence plan amendment that says all employer matching contributions are hereby eliminated. Because that sounds like a permanent discontinuation of employer contributions. It sounds like a partial plan termination. So instead, what we have advised clients that uh, are going to turn off employer contributions for a limited period to make sure they memorialize the temporary nature of these actions. Um, and maybe the best place to do it is in, a re is in the corporate resolution that authorizes this change like a board resolution. We're taking this temporary measure. It's expected to last only till December 31st, 2019, et cetera, at which point the company expects to uh, you know, commence employer contributions again. You know, you wanna put some window dressing around it. And we think if, you, if that is the plan and you document it properly, you can take the position that this temporary suspension is not a partial termination and you don't have to vest everyone. That's a great point. Thanks. So I'm just thinking about, you know, if if our company has triggered a partial plan termination, so the, the result is that we have to vest those affected people. The notice to participants, and Jenny, you brought this up, there's a notice to participants that typically does the record keeper send this out? Is the plan sponsor responsible? Does it go to just those affected people or everybody in the plan? You know, I, I would I would think that the plan record keeper would have typical forms that it would send um, for those who are able to take distributions or access their account. But you know, I would really think that the employer would want to send um, a notice out as well that has its own tone, um, that provides its own information, has its own branding on it, um, just to keep up that sort of relationship um, feel that you would typically have between mm -hmm. employer and employee, even if it is a former employee at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one, one challenge is partial plan terminations don't happen every day. So my experience has been there are not well-established communication procedures at the record keeper. So, you know, it's, it's a good conversation to have. Uh, if you have a partial plan termination issue, will your record keeper send out notices or will they look to you? I, I don't know. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if your record keeping services agreement does not expressly address this because you know it's a it's a it's not a routine communication for a plan. You know, so I think you know, what we've discovered here in 30 minutes, this is a pretty complicated subject that requires a lot of time. And then, you know, if the people who are listening in on this webinar, if you have any questions, you know, certainly seek your ERISA counsel, uh, talk to your record keeper, their compliance people. 
I think documentation, uh, as both Jenny and Christian pointed out, is very important. So, you know, really just, again, documentation for the long term. You know, as we go through this period, there may be continued reductions in staff that could hit HR, right? So if you're looking back down the road a year, why did we do this? If we don't have something in the file, it explains that nobody has that, uh, uh, that privilege of, oh, I was there when it happened, then I think it's important that documentation is very important. Max, do we have any questions? We currently don't have any questions. Um, we can wait a few moments. Um, okay. I'll pull up the last slide. Uh, but yeah, we can wait around a few moments, see if anyone wants to ask any questions in the chat window. Max, I can throw out one. I can throw out one question that uh, we received. I think this was last week, and it was this. So we we were talking to a client about this 20% trigger point, and her initial reaction was, "Okay, when we hit 20%, we'll start vesting people going forward." Um, and unfortunately, it's not that easy. You know, you have to look at all of the uh, you know involuntary restructuring. Um, separations that occurred within the applicable period. So that means you hit 20% and now you have to go backwards, invest people, which can be easy if, if former employees uh, didn't separate that long ago and they still have money in the plan. Um, but if they separated and quickly grabbed their account balance and took off, if they forfeited on partially vested or unvested employer contributions, and you've got a correction action to talk to your record keeper about because they, those employees are also affected employees and they need to be vested and employer contributions need to be restored. Um, so it can be a little messy if people have taken their, you know, they left previously and they took their money out of the plan. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a good point. We're coming up on the bottom of the hour. Um, any last thoughts, Jenny or Christian? Okay. Um, uh, covered it. Yep, for the folks listening in, uh, there's our email addresses. If you have questions, if you want to get a copy of these three slides, uh, please email us or give us a call. We're happy to answer your questions, and I hope that we brought some value to you today on a very important topic. And probably, um, as we started talking about this a couple of weeks ago, it's a much deeper and important topic than I think we realize, and it's certainly affecting a lot of our clients and potentially affecting clients going forward. So with that, Max, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Christian. We really appreciate you. your participation. Thank you. Okay. Good to be with you. Thank you, everybody. Yep, that's uh, most of the, the questions that are just saying thank you for the refresher. So thank you, everyone, for attending the call. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye now.